sun and the lesser light to govern the night, the moon. I'm not sure why that was no problem, but as I began to read the Bible, I found in Revelation chapter 22 that there will be no more night, that God's servant will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. But there were, I confess, passages where the order of things puzzled me. For example, in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31, uh, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. That's sublime, but an older translation has they that wait on the Lord. I like that. Waiting is normally very difficult, isn't it? When you're waiting in a traffic jam, when you're waiting in a queue at the hospital, when you're waiting for an appointment and the phone is engaged, when you're waiting for the result of the biopsy. Ah, but this is different. They who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. But surely we walk first and then we run and then finally we take off and we soar on wings as it were. Does the order matter? Perhaps not and yet God is a God of order. And before long, I found out in experience that it was easier to mount upon wings and to fly for a while than it was to run without growing weary. And that in turn was easier than to walk and not faint. To keep going on and on, whatever the circumstances or conditions. To keep right on, or as the phrase in the song, though you're tired and weary, still carry on till you come to the end of the road. Or more scripturally, be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. Oh, it's far, far more demanding to walk and not faint than it is to run or to soar. In other words, the order is right. But sometimes I wonder if I'll ever learn. We come to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, and I know Tim spoke so helpfully on it, but let me focus again on it if I may. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I've thought about these things over many years. The first is clearly and obviously in the right place. And that's been made very clear in the superb series we're having on the book of Acts. But after the word, it surely ought to be prayer. 
In 1 Timothy 4, we read, everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. The two go together. Both are of paramount importance. Yet here in Acts 2 and verse 42, between the word and prayer, we have fellowship and the breaking of bread. And as I've thought about this over the years, I've come to uh, certain possible explanations. Can you pray, really pray, if you're not in fellowship with one another? The Lord Jesus said to the disciples, when you pray, say, our Father. And can we break bread together with all that that represents and means to us and for us if we're not in fellowship with one another? I remember many years ago having occasion to uh, speak to a young man in the church and he didn't like what I had to say to him. In fact, he was quite angry. And the following Sunday, we were due to meet at the Lord's table. And he was there in the congregation. And after the first part of the service, as I came down to the Lord's table, he got up out of his seat. And he came and spoke to me at the Lord's table. He was right. He wanted to ensure that we were in fellowship. So I'd like to focus on this word fellowship. In my own Christian life and experience, it was one of the doors to my deliverance. It is and has been one of my greatest delights. And it continues to be one of my greatest difficulties. One of the doors to my deliverance from darkness to light from death to life for though I had a church background and though I regularly went to church I knew nothing really of the content of the Bible nothing of experience of conviction of sin Nothing of the Lord Jesus Christ as Saviour and Lord. But when I met with Christian people and came under conviction and began seeking what I was convinced, first of all, was to seek the truth and later found to seek the Lord Jesus, I was welcomed into the homes of believers I received hospitality in a variety of ways. I saw how Christians loved one another. It was great to be with them. Not because the hospitality was lavish, because it wasn't, I'm speaking of the 1950s. But it was warm and it was sincere. And it was welcoming. 
and it was God-honoring, and it was Christ-centered. And though I attended lots of services and meetings and went to lunchtime uh, gatherings in the city of London, it was in a home. It was in a home where the Lord broke into my stubborn heart and made himself known to me through the Lord Jesus and told me of the possibility of knowing the forgiveness of sins and peace with God. Fellowship. One of my greatest delights through the years, regardless of age, after my conversion, I was very quickly involved in young people's work. But also, I spent time with older Christians, with mature Christians. What struck me was that I'd been called into a family, not into a particular age group, but into God's family, where people were of different ages and different experiences. I received Christian hospitality because of my nature and my background. I didn't find it easy to meet with strangers. And yet, when I was a student and went out to preach in various churches up and down the south of England and even further afield at times, I might go with a measure of fear and trepidation, but almost invariably blessed in the fellowship with the Lord's people in their homes. Later in the ministry, blessed in fellowship in all sorts of circumstances and conditions of life, in wonderful weddings, in times of grief and sickness and sorrow, with the dying. I remember going to hospital on one occasion and I was told he won't recognize you. He's not recognizing anyone, not even closest family. And as I went to his bedside and took hold of his hand, he opened his eyes and said, Hello, Pastor. Another I was told was waiting for me to come back from being away. I remember going and I wasn't sure about the position of the man in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, but his wife had confessed faith. And I went and she was very ill indeed. And I went and prayed with her. And she was aware of it and she responded And after I finished praying, she went to be with the Lord. And the husband said she's been waiting for that. Fellowship at all manner of levels. Reminds me of a couplet in a hymn. It moves my soul and causes me 
to long for greater joys than to the earth belong. One of the outstanding moments for me in fellowship was at Beechdale when a man was converted from an absolutely unchurched background. And Muriel helped him in a variety of ways and he got involved in children's work. And one day he said to me, you're more than a pastor, you're my friend. Ideally, I'd like it the other way around. The fellowship of kindred minds, as we shall sing, is like to that above. But not only was fellowship a door to my deliverance, and is and has been, and pray God it will be, my greatest joy. It's also my continuing difficulty. Why? Well, because of my nature and my temperament and my background and experiences. Because though in Christ I am a new creature, I'm still in the flesh. And the old man still troubles me. My training has always been from the age of 18 that in leadership you are alone. And the principal of the Bible college I went to, as it were, as a a farewell message said to us, I commit you to a life of loneliness. No friends in your own church. With the utmost respect, I disagree with that. Savers of a priestly note. But I understand what was being said. And in those days, I didn't know anything else. And so I followed it. I come from a large family. Four older brothers and three younger, including a sister. And yet, although I come from such a close-knit family and their homes are open to us now and uh, we're in close contact with all of them, yet I was still lonely. I went away to a boarding school of uh, just 50 boarders in a school of 500 So you'd have thought that there would be intimate friendship there. But when I left school, I didn't keep in contact with any of them. In the army, I was with a select group of European officers, with African soldiers, and yet the same is true. For some reason, I have been a lonely person, a loner, which is contrary to the gospel and to fellowship. I was very challenged and humbled when Pastor Tim spoke about prickly Christians. I feel that that's what I've been at times. And if any of you have found me prickly, I do apologize 
and seek your forgiveness. So what is this fellowship? Well, it's far more than hail fellow well met, slap me on the back, keep rejoicing brother. It's far more than having a cuppa and a bun. Though I've known deep fellowship over a cuppa. An ordinary dictionary can be quite helpful here. It says that fellowship is a state of sharing mutual interests, experiences and activities. How good are we at sharing? A society of people sharing mutual interests and experiences. Is it theoretical or is it practical? I found this challenging. A mutual trust and charitableness. In my daily reading, I've been reading through 2 Corinthians and in Chapter 5 and verse 16, it talks about judging no man after the flesh. How do we look at one another? How do we we judge one another? Do we do it as through the eyes of Christ? Or do we do it in the flesh? A mutual trust and charitableness. The NIV has the fellowship as though it were speaking of the church. As we would expect, a Bible dictionary goes further and it speaks of joint interest, partnership, communion, of fellowship with God and with Christ in his suffering and the fellowship of the gospel. Those who I have known a long time and um, in correspondence with over particular matters I sometimes sign off yours in the fellowship of the gospel the Greek word translated fellowship can mean I share, I communicate I contribute I impart I have fellowship with Outside the New Testament, the word is often used of the marriage relationship. Uh, Some people found it strange, but I felt through years in the ministry that the relationship between uh, a pastor and people was that of uh, the marriage relationship. And in some measure, that is what it ought to be with one another. But what does the Bible tell us about fellowship under three headings, personal, practical, and spiritual. Well, it makes quite clear that a Christian is not only one who has been born again of the Spirit, one who has repented of and turned from sin to trust in Jesus Christ as the only Savior of men through the merits of his death on the cross. But he's one who has been called by God into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, 1 Corinthians 1. 
and with his people. And I've been moved over the years by the words of the Apostle John. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. How's your joy? How's your fellowship? Others may choose to be isolated, but the New Testament reveals that new believers were added to the church, entered into fellowship with other believers, including the apostles. In other words, there's no such thing in the New Testament as a Christian who does not belong to the church, who does not belong to a church, the local church, New believers are added to the fellowship. It's personal, but it's corporate, practical. New Testament fellowship includes caring for and communicating with and providing for fellow believers. Romans 15 Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. And the root word for uh, contribution is the word for fellowship. And then the Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians, has um, this to say in chapter 8. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able to, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, that's the secret, and then to us in keeping with God's will. And the word used again and again, is fellowship. And over the page in chapter 9, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves men, we'll praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Many will know the words in Hebrews 13. Do not forget to do good and to share, to fellowship with others. For with such sacrifice, God is well pleased. And the Amplified New Testament puts it like this. Do not forget or neglect to do kindness and good. To be generous and distribute and contribute to the needy of the church as embodiment and proof of fellowship for such sacrifices 
are well pleasing to God. But above all, and underlying the personal and the practical, is the spiritual. For in the New Testament, Christian fellowship is with the Father, and with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. There is a difference between the friendship that we can experience naturally, the friendship of the world and spiritual fellowship. And I was greatly encouraged as Tim prayed to this effect as we prayed together in the vestry just before we came out. You see, there is an element in fellowship that is not to be found in human natural friendship and camaraderie. I know it's sometimes said that there is more friendship in a local pub than in some churches. That, alas, may be true of some churches falsely so called, but it's not true of the Church of Jesus Christ, not true of New Testament believers. We've already noted that the Apostle John calls believers to fellowship with him and declares our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And the final words of 2 Corinthians 13 is, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. At times we may use the word fellowship rather easily or lightly. But biblically it is divine in its origin. It is Trinitarian in its experience. It is comforting and challenging and humbling on a personal and a spiritual level. I am more overwhelmed now than when I was 40 years ago when I had the temerity to preach on Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. The early Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. If at times you find it difficult, as I do, if at times you are troubled with or by what Pastor Tim called prickly Christians, if, like me, you find at times that you yourself are a bit prickly, Will you continue steadfastly in the Apostles' doctrine and in fellowship? Will you encourage others? Will you pray for others? Will you pray for me? You see, sometimes what may appear prickliness may be shyness or an inferiority complex, or 
bruising from previous experience. And if you ask why do certain bushes have thorns, it's to protect them. It's not an excuse, but sometimes people may be a little bit prickly because they're hurting, hurting deeply. And what they need is patient, consistent, encouraging, loving fellowship. Will you comfort others? Because your fellowship extended to others may in the grace and mercy of God be a door of deliverance from them. And though it may be difficult for them at times, it may be, as I believe it should be, their greatest delight and joy. I commend to you the fellowship of the gospel, the fellowship of believers, the fellowship that is with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Our hymns tonight may have appeared to be golden oldies. They've not been chosen because of that. They've been chosen because of the theme of what was laid on my heart to share with you. And we're going to sing now about fellowship. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love.